Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. Welcome to all of you. If it's your first Sunday here, I hope you'll feel at home. And uh, if you do have a need, if you have a prayer need or you, you uh, need some ministry, please do fill out that tear-off and stick it in a bulletin or, or stick it in the uh, offering or the uh, offering boxes over here. We want to serve you in any way that we can. Thirty... Two years ago, if I have the number right, my wife was just like Mary, great with child, (laughs) expecting twin girls. They were scheduled to come in January, but as twins usually do, they came uh, several weeks early on the 30th of December, and they were born shortly after midnight right here at St. Joseph's Hospital, back when you could drive up to the front door at St. Joseph's Hospital. Uh, way back in the old days, um, you know, babies are always born in the middle of the night. I don't know why that is, but but uh, we we made our way into the hospital and uh, had to work through all of that, and and uh, you know she had to have a cesarean, and I'm just telling you the whole thing was exhausting to me. It was just <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> That was before cell phones, so there was there was no uh, there was no texting or uh, emailing of photos. But uh, when uh, the girls finally came, I got on the phone and called uh, my parents, uh, who you know lived a ways, and and her folks, and called a couple of our friends from church over there at Nooksack. And and I don't know what time I called, you know, two in the morning or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, it's a friend, right? Turns out there was an eclipse that night, and the friend that I called, who would be the kind of person who would want to get right on the phone and call all of her friends, ignored my message because she thought I was up watching the eclipse and just decided to prank call her in the middle of the night and just tell her my girls were born uh, ahead of time. She didn't believe me. I can't understand that. When the eternal second person of the Trinity entered our world as a baby, God needed to get the word out. God wanted to get the word out. And so the question I want to ask today is, who could he get to take that message seriously? And who would he choose? Let's read in Luke chapter 2. We'll pick it up where Chuck left off at verse 8. Now there were in the same country... The same area where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, 
they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned back to their sheepfolds, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Who would God choose to entrust with the most important announcement in history? He would choose shepherds. And I want to share with you three reasons why I think he chose them. And the first is this. The shepherds were simple enough to understand. Now, if you're paying real attention to that sentence, you know that's a little bit of an uh, oxymoron. They were simple enough to understand. Look what happened to them. The angel came and spoke, and they received the message. They received the message. An angel of the Lord, verse 9, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said, verse 11, There is born to you this day in the city of David, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When the angel said this little sentence, he summarized all of the critical truth about Christ. And these shepherds appeared to have been Jewish men, who were, had grown up in the Jewish faith and were at least aware of these truths. And the first truth is, is summarized here, in the city of David. Well, what does that mean, the city of David? Well, it means Bethlehem, which was the hometown of King David and prophesied to be the hometown of the Savior. From Micah in the Old Testament, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The angel said, in the city of David, in the city of David there is born to you a Savior, a Savior, God described the Savior that was going to be born in this Old Testament passage as he did in many other ones. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I highlighted these words, I highlighted these words because they speak of what the Savior is going to accomplish. These are the people to whom the Savior is going to bring salvation or the, the characteristics or the needs that he is going to address. People who are poor, who are brokenhearted, who are captive, who are bound, who are mourning, who have heaviness. The wonderful message of Christmas is that a Savior has been born who has the power to change our lives. The, 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 the Jews who were listening to God's truth knew this, this person was coming who would 
bring change to their lives. And that change is described as an internal change here in Ezekiel chapter 11. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh. I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people. I will be their God. This is what Christ was talking about in John chapter 3 when he talked about being born again. I don't know, I don't know if you fit into any of those categories this morning. People who are mourning, people who are captive, people who are brokenhearted, people who have heaviness. We all have those things from time to time, in small measure, in greater measure. I don't know where you're at today, but what I want you to understand today is that when that angel came and talked to those shepherds, he said, fellas, a savior is coming. Somebody who can change your life. Change your life for now and change your life for eternity. And I think they picked up on that. And they certainly picked up on this last word in the list. In the city of David, a savior, is the second word in the list, excuse me, who is Christ. The word Christ means anointed. From Daniel 9, 70 weeks are determined for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. The word Christ is the Greek word that corresponds to, a, to the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for, a, we usually translate it, Messiah. You could translate it deliverer or savior. It means the same thing. Somebody who is going to, to be a liberator of sorts for people. And the, the word anoint also speaks of being specially chosen. And so God specially chose this whole plan, and he promised it way back in Daniel. And he said, there is going to be a person come, and that person, among other things, is going to be anointed. He is going to be a king. He is going to bring salvation. He is going to completely revolutionize the lives of his people. Now, part of this is yet future. Christ is not ruling on a throne, literally, but he's going to. The day, you know, our country is, is reeling with um, unrest. A man executed two police officers in their car yesterday. Okay. I, I don't know in his mind if he thought he was evening the score. I don't know. And I don't know what all happened with those various men who have lost their lives at the hand of police. I'm not here to defend one or the other. I'm just saying we're struggling, and we're thinking, oh, could there be some peace? Could we, could we, could we be like World War I when there was a Christmas truce, and everybody laid down their arms and came out and just had a nice day together? Could we just have one nice day? Well, the great news is there's a whole lot of nice days coming. When Christ is going to rule with the rod of iron, and the people of Israel especially keyed in on those aspects of the prophecies, one of which is here in Daniel, 
and, and they knew that this king was going to come and, he, and Israel was going to rule the world. And, and oh, they looked forward to that and they longed for that. And so when the angel came to the shepherd and said, you know that guy we've been talking about in the Old Testament? Or they didn't call it the Old Testament, they called it the Only Testament right then. And said, you know that guy? He's here. And they went, where is he? Let's go find him. But the description wasn't over. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is a phrase from Matthew, of course. We're familiar with it, that part of the Christmas story, as we call it. But it's quoted from the Old Testament with the addition here of the translation which is God with us. God with us. The essence of that is right here. The spiritual savior and political deliverer would not just be another king, but God in the flesh. All of that is wrapped up in that sentence that the angels delivered to the shepherd. What is interesting about the shepherds, again, though, as we come back to our main concept here that we're working on, is this. The shepherds were simple enough to understand. And they were simple. Their simplicity is demonstrated, first of all, in this. They didn't doubt the message. I mean, put yourself in their place, okay? A few of you have raised animals. I've never slept with animals out in the open. You ever done that? I know you, you've, you've done that, okay, okay. So let's, let's imagine you're sleeping out in the pasture and an angel appears and speaks to you. Are you gonna go, okay, whatever you say? Or are you gonna go, oh, hey, I'm not sure what that was. You ever seen anything like that before? No, I've never seen anything like that before. You know, I know they talk about that stuff down at the synagogue, but I'm not sure. No, they didn't doubt the message. They didn't doubt the message or the messengers. Now, Zacharias, the priest, isn't that interesting? The shepherds, these, these common men, they didn't doubt, but Zacharias, the priest, who God said was a godly man walking in all of the, all of the rules of the Old Testament. He was a really godly man. And, and when the angel spoke to him, he went, how in the world can that happen? And he was you know, given some muteness to help him understand that anything can happen with God. Now Mary, another common young gal, she didn't doubt. They didn't doubt the message. And they also didn't disagree with the message. Doubting is like, eh, I'm not sure if it's true. Disagreeing is, I hear what you're saying, and I frankly don't care for it. The Pharisees were the people who disagreed with Christ's message more than any other group while he was on earth. Here's an example of that. Jesus said, for I say to you among those born of women, there is not a greater than the prophet than the John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people had heard him, 
Even the tax collectors justified or praised God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. Now, do you understand that? They got it, and they rejected it. My grandson still rejecting me. This morning, all Stephanie had to do was say my name, and he went, Not even going there. (laughs) The truth of God is not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. And the Pharisees did not accept it. They said no. They rejected it. It wasn't that they didn't understand. They understood it quite well. The shepherds, on the other hand, they said, okay, we receive it. They didn't doubt, they didn't disagree, and they didn't discount. What's that mean to discount a message? To discount a message is to say, well, yeah, it might be true, but I just don't think it's important. There were the people who who discounted the message are recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2 when we read this. Now, after Jesus was born, and again, this was some time, you know, could have even been a year or two later by the time these fellas came, but. I don't want to burst your bubble too much about the Christmas cards you have. So just imagine the wise man right there, right there at that moment. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Okay, here's some guys who traveled several hundred miles pursuing the Christ. And they pull into town, and, they're, and if you read the text, it, it reads like they were going everywhere saying, where is he, where is he, where is he? And they ended up at the king's house. Okay, And so we read this then. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Of course, he was jealous. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew exactly the prophecies. Now, remember, they didn't have any Logos Bible software to look it up in. They didn't have any any books to help them. They had to know, and they knew it. And what did they do about it? Nothing. I mean, Herod, of course, is going to oppose it, but they didn't say, hey, when you fellas find it, you let us know because we've been waiting for the Messiah and we're ready to go welcome him. No, they just sort of went, oh, I'm going to get back to bed now. God's truth is readily available to us. It's right here. It's not hard to understand. But sometimes we don't want it. Um, A number of years ago, I began to have a little problem with my hearing. And so over the years, I I get a hearing test to, to see how I'm doing. And 
A few years ago, they told me I, my hearing loss was indicative of, of having some kind of a hearing injury. It's not old man hearing loss yet. Um, Cindy. <laughs> I went this week and got it checked again. They say, no, you're, you're exactly the same as you were uh, six years ago. That doesn't really help me because my problem is I, my hearing loss is in sort of the range where my wife speaks, where her voice sounds. <laughs> Now, I'm not making that up. <laughs> and if she's looking the other way, talking, and if I'm not really, you know, knowing that she's talking, all I hear is sound. And I say, what? <laughs> and she's very patient with me. The problem is not with her speaking. The problem is with my hearing. The problem is not with God speaking. The problem is with our hearing. And we bring things in to cloud the hearing because we don't want to hear it. The shepherds were just simple common men. They said, speak to me, bring it. We're believing it and we're obeying it. They were simple enough to understand. They were weak enough to obey Look at verse 9 of, of Luke 2. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And I, I, this phrase just jumped off the page at me this week especially. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. What's that talking about? I've read this so many times. I've been a pastor for 36 years. I don't know how many times I've read this passage and preached about this passage and not fully grasped it was the glory of the Lord that shone around them. It wasn't just somebody turned on a light in the middle of the night. Yeah, I put up a new hair dryer. We have a, a hair dryer on the wall. You know, no, not for me. <laughs> the old one died. I put a new one up there, and, and it has a night light on it. And, and around the door of the bathroom in our bedroom, it looks like the glory of the Lord shining out with that thing just... <laughs> You know, the, it's, it wasn't a bright light that appeared to them. It was the glory of the Lord. Let's go back to the Old Testament and read about that glory. First um, Kings chapter eight. Now, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. See, David put together all the materials so his son Solomon could build the temple. I mean, and it was, it was not only big and magnificent, but it was covered with gold and silver, and it was just incredible. And the, but the ark, the centerpiece of worship, was in another place while it was being built. And when it was built, they brought the ark of the temple, and they took it in. And this is what we read. They brought the ark of the Lord the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priest and the Levites brought them up. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the holy of holies, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. 
That's not just a bright light. This is an artist rendition of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and we, we see the, the place of worship, and, and God made his presence known through this cloud, and, 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 and when the temple was built, he displayed his glory in such a way that it, the priest said, man, I can't be there. That is too intense. That's why when the, when the angel appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them, what was their response? Look at verse 9. They were greatly afraid. The glory of God is an incredible thing that we can't imagine. It's not just a light. It is him. It is his person. It is uh, the incredible uh, magnificence of who he is. That's what Christ took off. Philippians 2, that's what he emptied himself of when he took on a human life. He didn't get rid of his divineness, but he took off that glory. If he'd have come in that glory, everybody would have had to respond like the shepherds, and everybody would have bowed down, but they wouldn't have meant it in their heart. But the angel appears in the glory. God God just parted the heavens and went, glory right there, and they went, whoa, how incredible. Now, what we need to think about, which is really, really simple, but important and profound, is this. They knew they couldn't fight the glory of God. They didn't try to. They didn't look at that angel and the glory of God and stand up and go, bring it. I'll take whatever you got, and when you're done, I'm going on my way. Oh, they were greatly afraid. They were humble. They, in essence, they said, you are great. We are not. We are here. We are your servants. Now, Herod thought he was strong enough to oppose God. He said about putting all the baby boys to death so he could kill the Christ. Throughout Christ's ministry, the Pharisees fought Christ. Eventually, they thought they had silenced him with the crucifixion. What they didn't know was they were just part of God's plan to bring salvation to man. Our society is fighting Christ from the public square. You know, I I read something in the last couple of weeks that helped me understand what's been happening in the military chaplaincy. And and maybe I'm going to be oversimple, maybe I'm not. I don't think it's the government who is opposing the military chaplaincy and causing all of these ripples we see about what a chaplain can say and do. There's actually an organization dedicated to getting rid of religion in the military. And they most recently went after a chaplain who who shared some truth about how Christianity can help you deal with suicidal temptation in a training he was giving. I don't know if he was training other chaplains or training military people. And this organization went after him. And, And I'm not saying that to defend the government, but I'm saying there's at least an organization dedicated to removing Christianity especially from the military. Many years ago in the city we used to live in, they had an annual employee Christmas dinner. And when a new administration came in, they moved it to January. 
so they wouldn't even have to talk about the word Christmas. A few years ago, I believe it was in the Puget Sound region, the Toys for Tots program received a large gift of toys which they rejected. What were they? What were the most dangerous things that they couldn't pass out to children? Talking Jesus dolls. Now, I'm, I'm kind of dismayed by that, but I'm frankly not surprised. And you shouldn't be either. But it started with Herod. It went on with the Pharisees. And the question you need to ask today, are you fighting Christ? What he has said, the message he has given is real plain and simple. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to implement. It is challenging at times. Are you fighting Christ at Christmas? An atheist is someone who knows there is a God but fights to prove there isn't because he or she does not want that God to make a claim on their life. God has made a claim on all of our lives. He created us. He sustains us. He sent Christ to be our Savior. He has a claim on our life, and someday he will call us to account. The shepherds were simple enough men that they said, I can't fight God. I don't want to fight God. If you said this is happening, I am going forward. God's truth is plain, and it has been powerfully displayed in such things as creation. I looked this quote up. I think I've referenced it before, but I looked it up to make sure I had it right. Bill Gates even has realized a degree of the power of God in creation when he said this. And I have the quote. I have the, uh, if you want to see it on the website, I can show it to you. The mystery and beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing, and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does seem, you know, sort of an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God, but exactly what decisions in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds to me like God's on the end of this rope. And Bill Gates is pulling with all he's worth. But you know what's going to happen? If he's not careful, God's going to reel him in. Would that be the worst thing if God reeled you in today? The creation is demonstrating the glory of God. God is not going to come down and open the skies until the end of time. And he'll open the skies then, but it'll be too late. But he has revealed himself in creation. He's also revealed himself in, in things like the preservation of this book. Governments have tried to burn it and get rid of it. Uh, people, you know, regularly, there's some group of scholars who say, well, we're going to tell you what this really means. I read one this week. I, I won't name the religious group because I don't want to defame them. But the fellow said, you know, when, when the angel held back Abraham's hand from sacrificing his son Isaac, that wasn't an angel. That was just his conscience. There's, there's stuff like that all the time. How has God's word survived intact for 2,000 years? 
There's only one answer, the glory of God. The power of God is there. What about the continued existence of the church of Jesus Christ, the the true believers in Christ? I know there's all kinds of false churches. I know there's people who, who, who malign God's word, and yet the true church goes on. People keep getting saved. People keep dying in hope and peace. How does that happen? It happens by the power of God. And then last but certainly not least, the transformation of individual lives. Do you understand that our transformation is connected to the glory of God also? We all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God calls his word a mirror in James chapter 1. He calls it a mirror and he says, when I hold that mirror up to my face and when I let it change me, I am getting the glory of God and I'm being changed into an example of the glory of God or a piece of the glory of God. How incredible is that? Man, I've, I've seen that over my years. If you were to ask me, why do you stay in the ministry? It's that right there. To get to see people transformed by the glory of God. What an incredible thing. I am going to uh, have a little surgery tomorrow on my rotator cuff. I had surgery on my shoulder almost six years ago. And after three years of working and doing all this and that, feeling pretty strong. Feeling pretty strong about three years ago. But all along in those three years, I had to bring young people in particular in to do my yard work and I got my son and my son and uh, my son and my son-in-law to dig the post holes for the fence that I needed to put in. You know, I'm I'm feeling a lot of weakness coming on for the next year. <laughs> it was awesome. You know, I, I feel bad asking people to help. I feel like I should be doing it myself, but the doctor said, "Got to take care of that thing." He, he, in fact, I asked him, "Can I dig post holes?" No, no post holes. Okay. So I'm being good, I'm being good, I'm being good. Came to a point where I needed to put in two more post holes. And I got really hard clay soil in the summer at my house. Man, it's, you know, you have to dig it with a steel bar and the post hole there is really nasty. So I got somebody there and they didn't have much luck getting that. And I said, I'm doing this myself. And by golly, I dug those two foot holes just like that. Oh, got, I put the post in there and got the concrete in there and I finished my fence and it was a work of art. And the next day I was like, oh Lord, what have I done to myself? And the answer is I should have hired that done. I wouldn't be having surgery tomorrow if I hadn't done that. Maybe it would have come on later. Doctor says it was inevitable at some point. Are you weak enough to receive help? Are you weak enough to let God change your life? No, I don't need that. I can do it myself. In McDonald's yesterday for one of my rare visits. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm eating, my, and there's a family right there with two little kids. And this little girl, she's in charge of that family. I'll tell you that. No, I'll do it this way, do it that way. I can do it myself, you know. Are you that little kid to God? Are you in charge of your life? These shepherds, when the glory of God appeared, they went, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they got up 
and obeyed. They got up and obeyed. The, the shepherds were weak enough to obey and they were humble enough to serve. Look with me at verse 16. Um, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass. Let's go. Let's look it over. They didn't ho-hum like the Pharisees and the scribes. They didn't hate like Herod. They said, let's go. Verse 16. And they came with, New King James says, haste. They came with haste. They hurried. They got up and got with it. They came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. When we think of the shepherds, we have a lovely image of a man in a robe with a staff leading about his sheep. And, and oh, it's just a wonderful pastoral scene. And he's a lovely young man. And, uh, oh, everybody loves him because he's such a nice shepherd. Well, he, he probably wore a robe and carried a staff and led his sheep or his goats, but that's not what a shepherd was in the society. One commentator put it this way, shepherds were near the bottom of the social ladder because sheep required care seven days a week. Because of that, the shepherds were unable to fully comply with the man-made Sabbath regulations. All those rules of the Pharisees about Sabbath. Remember when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, said, get up and take your bed and go home? And he got in trouble because that guy picked up his bed and went home. That kind of rule-making by the Pharisees about the Sabbath, that applied to these shepherds. Here's a guy taking care of the sheep that would be slaughtered in the sacrifice, but he gets no credit for that. Because sheep required care seven days a week, they were unable to fully comply with the man-made Sabbath regulations developed by the Pharisees. As a result, they were viewed as being in continual violation of the religious laws and hence ceremonially unclean. Now, God didn't view them that way, but man did. Shepherds. So why would God entrust his most precious, precious message to men from the bottom of the ladder of society. Because they were humble enough to receive the truth, obey the truth, and speak the truth. They had nothing to lose. They had nothing to lose. One of the speakers at the counseling conference Sue and I just attended a few months ago was John MacArthur. I quote him from time to time. He's a godly man. He's, he's uh, preached through the whole New Testament, written commentaries on the whole New Testament, and uh, I, I regard him highly in the Lord. And uh, he was preaching on this text at the, at the conference we were at. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak of the world to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. I, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a good student of the scripture, you can see my outline of the shepherds in this text. Because these shepherds, 
didn't view themselves as all smart. They just said, we're just common people. They didn't view themselves as stronger than God. We're weak. We're willing to follow God. And we're just, we're just nothing, and so we'll just do whatever God says. And he was preaching about that, how the world sees those who follow God's word. And he used an example that, uh, the kind of example only he could use. He said, I was on the, the Larry King show on a panel of people being interviewed about the Bible and truth and things like that. And the discussion got onto the issue of truth, how to know truth and how to define truth and so on. And after the show was over or during a break, uh, he talked to this fellow right here. Do you know who that is? A guy named Deepak Chopra one of Oprah's gurus, okay? He is, uh, and, and, and I believe, in an Indian fellow, and he's, he's written philosophical ideas about how to live your life, and, uh, you know, he's all of an expert. You know, you can find him on PBS, you know, for two hours at a time explaining how to live your life. And when they were together, John MacArthur said, uh, said well, I could help you with this concept of truth. I've written a book on it, and Deepak Chopra looked at him and said, I would never read anything you wrote. And John MacArthur made what I thought was a very wise observation. He said, to the world, those of us who follow God's word, we are nothing. We're nothing. They don't look at us and go, oh, you find godly people. They look at us and go, you fool. The shepherds were nothing. I think they knew they were nothing. And so when God said, would you go and check this out and then spread the word, they went, I'm in! Can you imagine them? Look what, look what it says here that they did. Um, verse 17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, that's not like after they went back and after they went to sleep, because later, verse 20, it says, then they returned glorifying God and praising. They went, you know, it was a sign. You understand the baby in the manger? It was a sign. It was a miracle pointing in a direction. When, you know, shepherds, they understood, and when, when the angel said, a baby laid in a manger, they went, dude, no mother lays her newborn in a manger. That does not happen. How would they find the baby in the manger? It would be simple. It'd be the only one. And so they went and found it, and when they got done, they went, this is true. This is real. That angel was speaking the truth. And they went through town going, a Savior, Christ the Lord, is born. They made it widely known. Verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They went out and talked, and people went, what in the world? An angel appeared, and he said this, and you found that? Wow. They were humble enough to serve. When you are nothing, you have nothing to lose, so you can speak God's truth just as God gave it. 
But if you have something to lose, you hold back. God seems to have chosen men with nothing to lose so they would spread his message without fear. You all know that I love my car, my rev wagon. It's, uh, man, it's seven years old this year. Just hitting midlife, I hope. It does have a flaw, at least one. When I turn on the rear window defroster, it causes interference with some radio stations. The antenna's on the back window and it cuts it out. Creates electrical noise. Pride is the noise that prevents us from receiving God's truth. The shepherds didn't have any pride. Humanly speaking, they had nothing to be proud about. Spiritually speaking, they must have been ready. I don't know, or else they got ready. They were humble. They were simple. They were weak. And so we're here today talking about them 2,000 years later. Are you simple enough to understand? Are you weak enough to obey are you humble enough to serve? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the ministry that the shepherds carried on. Where are we at with you, Father? We need to know. We need to see ourselves as clearly as you see us. Help us. We confess that there are times when we think we're really smart, so smart that we know better than you. We think that we're so strong that we don't need you in your way. And sometimes we think we're so special that we don't have time to serve you. Father, may that not be true this Christmas. May we give ourselves to you like the shepherds did. And may we reap the blessing of the joy that they reaped. I pray in Christ's name, amen.